0: on a website that is it, it teaches authors how to write good stories uh, and, and I was reading an article on plot twists one of them in particular how did you how do you help your villain get away with it so that the reader doesn't figure out that the villain is the villain before they're supposed to and one of the pieces of information they gave me struck me as so shocking that I felt like I had been betrayed by years of book reading. I'm like, the authors know this when they write these things. It makes me really mad. And one of them was, depending on what genre you're writing, you have to assume that the person reading your book is going to make some assumptions. You know, if if it's a thriller, then they're not going to trust anybody. If it's it's not a thriller, then they might be a little bit more trusting just in general. That you need to play off of the expectations of your readers because a reader is never more silly and wrong than when they are totally 100% convinced that they are right. And if they're 100% convinced they're right, they will overlook details that you actually could give them that could convince them Maybe of where the story is actually going. They'll overlook them because they're certain they're not important. Because they've already got it figured out. And that got me thinking. We kind of do the same thing with the Bible. That when we open our Bible and we sit down and we look at it. We can approach it with preconceived notions of what the Bible is doing to us when we read it. And the most common mistake that we make. When we read the Bible, it's that we think of it as, I'm going to read this and I'm going to follow these rules and I'm going to obey these commands in order to keep the evil out. Because there's a lot of evil out there and I don't want it to get to me. And so we read the Bible that way. and that affects the way that we handle everything from our Sunday school lessons to maybe our personal devotion to maybe the scriptures that we memorize, if you memorize scripture, um, to the way we read it, that we think of the Bible as a book telling us how to be good people and how to keep evil away. When that's not actually what's going on in the first place anyway. Um, I want us to read just one verse today. And I'll go ahead and give you the payoff of this entire sermon right here at the beginning so that you'll know where we're going. Paul spent a lot of Galatians talking about the law and it's coming to a head. Jews had this idea that the law was kind of like, they used the word fence, but I'm going to use the word gated community. Have you ever seen a gated community The the nice subdivisions that got the house in them and then there's a gate. And sometimes you even have an entry card and you have to go to the little thing and you scan your card and the gate, you know, kind of magically. And then you drive through if somebody's not mean and jumps in front of you and tries to take your little scan. They thought of the law like a gated community. That we're the happy, healthy, well-behaved people and we stay behind the gate that is the law. And the law is wonderful and righteous and it protects us and it keeps all the evil out. That's the way they looked at the law. But then Jesus comes along, and the New Testament comes along and tells the Jews, You've been wrong about this the whole time. The law is not a gate, that this is not a gated community, and it's not protecting you from the evil on the outside. The law is a fence. It is actually barbed wire, and you are imprisoned. It's keeping the evil that is in you from getting out. That it is a wall, it is a fence. But it's not to keep everybody else out. It's to keep you imprisoned. What do we do about that? What does that mean for us when we study our Bible? Pastor, are you just trying to depress me and make me sad and tell me that the Bible is just telling me I'm a horrible person? That's only half the story. Thank God there's another half and the law is always meant to point you there. So I want us to read one verse today, and by the end of this, hopefully, you will be encouraged by what Paul had to say about the way that the Bible was designed to function for you. So stand with me. of respect for the reading of God's Word. I have done a, a a dumb thing and mislabeled my handout. It says three twenty-one and twenty-two. We're actually in three twenty-three today. One verse. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed father thank you for your word teach us through it and change us by it it's in jesus name we pray amen you can be seated on first glance when we look at galatians chapter 3 verse 23 and we're going to look at the limits of the law today what it's able to do what god designed it to do and what it should do in our lives galatians three twenty-three. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. There are three parts in this verse, and we're going to divide my sermon around those three parts. There's a when, there's a what, and there's a why. The when is before faith came. The what is that we were kept under guard by the law, and the why is for the faith that would afterward be revealed. So first, I want us to see that the law functioned in the past, not the present. But look at me, look at me, look on your... now. Why did I say look at me? Look at the handout. Don't look at me. (laughs) On the handout, there's some parentheses after that first point. It says the law functioned in the past, not the present. What's in the parentheses? For believers. Okay? If you hear what I'm about to say and you have never yet trusted Jesus Christ... The past is still your present. Okay, the law still functions this way for you. If you, however, are a believer, you need to understand the role that the law was designed to play. It played in your past. That's how you came to Christ. Paul says before faith came, there's a but it says, but before faith came, that means the law existed, all the rules of the old Testament, the the rules that God gave his people existed in contrast to the current reality of faith. There was a defined time period during which the law was to carry out its functions, What was the function of the law? The function of the law was to prove to us by giving us a list of rules so perfect, so righteous, that we would come to the conclusion that there was no possible way we could ever keep them. And thus come to the conclusion, if they're perfectly righteous, and I can't perfectly keep them, I must not be perfectly righteous. That's what the law is designed to do. It was designed to teach us that we weren't nearly as good as we thought we were. Its goal, that purpose, was to be carried out prior to the coming of Christ. So God gives all these rules to all his people hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus Christ. A couple thousand years before the coming of Jesus Christ. Actually, And then Jesus gets here, and all the message that has been preached up to that point, Jesus shows up and says, this was all leading to me. It's all always been leading to me. The goodness of the law has never ceased. Its rightness never ceases, but it's only effective up to a point. It's kind of like, the law functions kind of like going to a doctor, and a doctor diagnosing you with a sickness, and you say, doctor, what am I supposed to do about this? And the doctor goes, I don't know. It's not my job to tell you what to do. I'm just telling you that you're sick. That's all the law does. As the law tells you something's wrong, it doesn't tell you how to fix it. There's a second part for that. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. This is what Jesus said. He says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, a little stroke of a pen. That's what Jesus means when he says that. One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Listen closely what Jesus said. He said he didn't come to destroy the law. He didn't come to wipe it out. He came to fulfill it. That word that Jesus used that is translated fulfill right here is used 90 times in the Greek New Testament. It is not a rare word. Various other ways that that word is translated in the New King James at least, which is what I'm preaching out of today. It was translated full, fill, fulfill, complete, accomplish, conclude, fully come, and finish. Finish. So when you look at what Jesus said, is Jesus said, I didn't come to wipe the law out. I came to finish it. I came to conclude it. I came to complete it. The law of rule keeping, box checking is incomplete. That is not the type of religion God intends you to have. Let me tell you, out of compassion and just love, listen to me, y'all. I, don't, I do not know all of your spiritual backgrounds. I don't know where you came from. Some of you may have had very good experiences in church growing up, sitting under real gospel preaching, where you heard about the grace and love and mercy of God every Sunday. I covet that for all of you. I hope that is your truth. But the reality is, statistically, some of you probably had a very harsh upbringing in church. Where, what happened daily on a Sunday after Sunday basis was the pastor made sport of what is it they call it, stomping on toes? Y'all, I'm not here to stomp on your toes. Now, sometimes the scripture bites, doesn't it? Sometimes this thing can hurt. That's not me. I'm not up here trying to hurt you, I'm not trying to berate you, I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm up here telling you that yes, the law is uncomfortable. But Jesus came to complete and finish that so that you could have mercy and grace. There's a second half of that story. I don't want you to sit up here and think that the law is the way that God intended for you to always relate to Him. The law was never how God intended you to relate to Him. The law was God's method of telling you that because of sin you couldn't relate to Him. That Jesus said, none of it will pass away till it is fulfilled, till it is complete, till it is finished. And you know, ironically, what Jesus said as he stretched out his hands on the cross and breathed breathed his last, he said, it is finished. Praise God for that. That the law before Jesus Christ was incomplete, but it was authoritative. It pronounced the diagnosis, but it offered no cure. That Jesus confirmed the righteousness of all the law's conclusions regarding humanity, but also proclaimed He'd come to be the solution to the cancer that the law diagnosed. According to Jesus himself, the law would not pass away till it had all been fulfilled, which it was in him. That's what he came to do, which is why a relationship with Jesus Christ is required to be right with God. If you think, if we think that we can have a right relationship with God just by trying our hardest, we've missed the boat. An entire half of the Bible exists to teach us that trying our hardest isn't good enough. But Luke twenty two twenty, Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. And He raises the cup and it says, Likewise, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, Which is shed for you. Now Jesus said the old covenant, the old the old testament, the the law, right? He said that wasn't going to pass away until it was finished or completed or fulfilled, right? That he didn't come to abolish it, he came to fulfil it. And yet here he is in Luke twenty two twenty, saying, This is the new covenant in my what? In my blood. That means that where the old covenant ends, the blood of Jesus begins. The new covenant begins with the shedding of the blood of Jesus. His blood must fulfill the old covenant because he said it would not pass away until it all was fulfilled. And here he is giving the new covenant, giving a new hope, giving a new way for you to come to God, which is by the fulfillment of the law that was in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10:8 and9 says, "Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law." So all these old sacrifices, God didn't just prescribe that just because he loved sacrifices. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. What does this mean for us? Am I just up here spouting theological mumbo-jumbo? No, this has a lot to do with you. This has a whole lot to do with me. Bible Belt cultural Christianity tends to be really good at embracing the law, but not embracing its limits. Okay? What does that mean? That means I would would be embracing the law, but not its limits. If I got up here and I pulled out something that probably most of us are familiar with. If I got up here and I pulled out the Ten Commandments. Raise your hand if you've kept all the Ten Commandments forever. Correct. (laughs) For those of you in the front, no one raised their hand. (laughs) That's right. None of us have. Embracing the law but not embracing it limits would be me preaching keep the, keep the Ten Commandments, keep the Ten Commandments, keep the Ten Commandments, keep the Ten Commandments and never letting you know that the point of the law is to show you you can't and that you need to come for God, to God for grace. What that does is that creates a generation of Christians who are so stressed out and so scared that they're going to slip up and they're going to mess up one time and they're going to accidentally break a command of God and God's going to get angry and God's not going to love them anymore and God's not going to want anything to do with you and oh, I can't believe that dirty, nasty human being broke my law again. Why did I even, oh, they get on my nerves so bad. That's law, y'all. Law thinking is, God only loves me if I do right. No, God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize that Jesus knew you were a sinner when He came for you? It's not like He got here and got up on the cross and they started mistreating Him and He went, I thought they were good people. Father, we've got to recalculate this. I thought you were sending me to save good people. No, 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 no. Jesus knew. He knew we were messed up. Us being messed up is not a surprise to God. Us being messed up is the reason God came to save us. He loves you right now, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. Listen, sinner, poor and needy, come to the cross. Come to Christ. Say, well, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't want to. God knows and he loves you anyway. The law existed in the past to bring you to the present of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer and you have come to Christ and you have repented of your sin and you have turned and you have left it behind and you have said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. Call me yours. Then the law has done its work. That is in your past. And you need to leave that legalism aside because I promise you, if Jesus has saved you, He's put a heart in you that that makes sin disgusting to you. You can still do it, but you can't do it and like it. I promise. If you're a believer, then the law did its work in the past to bring you to Christ. Stop going back to the law today. You will be miserable. But if you are not a believer today, The past for believers, you're still in the present there. That the law is still doing its work. The law is still teaching you that you can't do it yourself. And it's not until you get to the point where you say, I can't do it myself. I need somebody to help me that you'll come to Jesus. That's that's your present. If you haven't come to Jesus, you're still learning that. If your religion is merely a religion of law, your religion has yet to bring you to faith in Christ. And the law has got to break you if Jesus is going to put you back together. It was never intended to be your destination. It was intended to be your map. So the law functions in the past, not the present, for believers. Second, the law functions, um, the law functions as a fence, not a gate. We talked about this kind of at the beginning, uh, that we were kept under guard by the law. And then uh, if if you look at your handout, you're like, why in the world did he put kept by itself after that comma again? That's because that's actually a separate word in the Greek that means something different than the first kept. So I tried to keep them all together. Uh, Those words, kept and then kept under guard, have the sense of being confined or imprisoned. Some translations have it shut up to, like cordoned off, that what the law functions as is, if you've ever seen a kind of like a maximum security prison, you ever seen these, you've got the barbed wire around the top of the fence? That's how the law functions. That it is a fence. Keeping us in. This is what life is like before faith in Christ. We tend to think of the as a way to keep the evil, evil away from the good people. And we sit in here and we, we bathe in our goodness and sing kumbaya. And that, that's, that's the way some folks think of church on the outside, by the way. That sometimes the church from the outside is viewed as this is where the good people get together and talk about how good they are. If you're inside the church, you know that nothing is farther from the truth. Um, None of us are good people in the sense that the Bible refers to good. This is where all of us broken people get together and celebrate about the fact that we have a good, loving God who's willing to put us back together by His grace. That's what we're here to do. But in our natural humanity, prior to knowing Christ... What we do is we have this desire to see ourselves. We have this desire to either be good people or to be seen as good people. Is that fairly accurate? That nobody I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, You know what? I, don't want, I want everybody that I meet today to recognize me as an evil person. Nobody does that. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says that. If you say that, then I will refer you to a psychologist as soon as possible. Um, I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I want to be a bad human being. Because, see, we know the law. Maybe not all of the intricate ceremonial rules, but somewhere deep inside all of us, pick any culture, anywhere in the world, anywhere, you will find similarities between what they say is right and what they say is wrong. Pick any culture, murder is wrong. Pick any culture. There's some concept of getting married exclusive family relationships. Now, they may look different, but that common idea exists everywhere. You know, you, there are rules about stealing everywhere you go. Penalties may be different, but basically everybody agrees that, that it's wrong. All right? We all share some concept of right and wrong, and we don't want to be seen as bad people. So we do everything we can to appear good. We know the rules, and we instinctively know that we want to be good people or we want to appear to be good people, but we find in ourselves this truth that even though we know what right and wrong is, we don't always do what's right. So if we want to maintain the facade of being good people, we have to explain why in that particular instance the rules did not apply to me today. I love C.S. Lewis. I recommend everyone in this room read Mere Christianity. If you've got, you know, a casual month or two to read a 120-page book. Because y'all is dense. But he opens it this way. And this is relatable enough that everyone can understand it. Everyone has heard people quarreling. Sometimes it sounds funny. And sometimes it sounds merely unpleasant. But however it sounds, I believe we can learn something very important from listening to the kinds of things they say. They'd say things like, How would you like it if anybody did the same thing to you? That's my seat. I was there first. Leave him alone. He isn't doing you any harm. Why should you get to push in ahead of me? Give me a little bit of your orange. I gave you a little bit of mine. Come on. You promised. See, people say things like that every day. Educated people and uneducated people. Children as well as grown-ups. Now what interests me about all these remarks is that the man who makes them is not merely saying that the other man's behavior doesn't happen to please him. He is appealing to some kind of standard of behavior which he expects the other man to know about. And the other man very seldom replies, I don't care about your standard." Nearly always, he tries to make out that what he has been doing doesn't really go against the standard or that if it does, there is some special excuse. Now, let me challenge you. I want you to think, because if you're not a sinner in here, raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, cool. This applies to everyone. Think back to a point of time. This will be painful. Think back to a time in your life where you sinned. Don't share. And now, think about how you tried to justify that, or how you tried to keep that from affecting your reputation as a good person. Maybe you explained how what you did wasn't really wrong. That I was, I had special circumstances. That normally, yes, I could understand that this would not be what you do, but you don't know the situation I was in. I didn't have a choice. Or maybe you just kind of brushed it under the rug because you knew it was wrong, but you also knew if everybody knew it was out there, then they, they would kind of cut their eyes after you because they know it's wrong too. Does everybody have a moment like that? Do you know why you instinctively explain it or cover it up? Because you know it's wrong. The very fact that you try and hide it, cover it up, or explain it is proof positive that you know it's wrong. Because if you thought that it was perfectly alright, then why would you try to explain it or cover it up at all? It'd be normal, wouldn't it? But the truth is that the, the law that we know that is in us, that surrounds us like barbed wire on a fence, it becomes obvious to us that the law is not keeping evil out. The law is keeping the evil in us locked away from getting out. It is keeping us locked away from the presence of God because our sin separates us from Him. The law is a fence, not a gate. And it's a tragedy, isn't it? We make our excuses and we, we, we say, okay, I know the rules. I want to be a good person, so I'm either going to not let people know what I've done or I'm going to explain why what I've done is appropriate. But eventually what happens is Romans three nineteen and 20, now we know that whatever the law says, It says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That eventually one day we're going to stand before God and there's not going to be any excuse making. There's not going to be any covering it up. There's not going to be any explaining it away. Every mouth will be stopped. My mouth, your mouth, our mouths. What is the solution to this? Well, if you're in prison, what do you want to be more than anything else? Free! Guess what? I got your freedom. Christ came to give you freedom. That that law... That locked you up in a fence. That law was only in effect until it was fulfilled. And that law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And He can provide fulfillment of that law for you. All you got to do is come to Him and say, Jesus, I have no goodness of my own. I need Yours. Jesus, I have no righteousness of my own. I need Yours. Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're Messiah. I need You. Jesus, I've got no goodness. I trust You. And do you know what happens? You get set free. That you're no longer locked up behind that law. The freedom of realizing that there are no more boxes to check with God. I've said this before and I'll say it again until everybody that I know gets it, it had to be said to me over and over again. And you know what? Sometimes in my flesh, I still go back and fail at this. Do you know, we in English do something funky. We separate love and like. You ever heard somebody do this? I love them. I just don't like them right now. You ever heard somebody say that? That's kind of like, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy for a minute, but just for a minute because you realize right after that love... They're saying, but I actually don't like you. God doesn't separate them. You know, God doesn't just love you. Do you know he actually likes you? God likes you. I just thought about this right now and it just made me happy. Okay, so go go, go to Job. Not like right now, but just write it down. Make a note later. Go to Job. Okay? When we focus on the scene in heaven in Job a lot, here's the story of Job in 30 seconds. There's this really neat guy named Job that God's really blessed. And one day all the angels are coming before God in heaven, and Satan manages to get his way in there and show up. And God says, what are you doing here? And he says, ah, I've just been roaming about the earth, looking at stuff, looking at people. And God says, well, while you've been out roaming around seeking whom you may devour, have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen how neat he is? And then Satan says, yeah, he's only, he only likes you because you give him good things. Let me harass him and then he'll curse you to your face. And Satan is wrong, as usual. And then the rest of the story is Job and his friends arguing about things they don't understand. There's the whole book in a nutshell. But right back at the beginning of the book, You know that, that God's the one who brings up how awesome he thinks Job is? Nobody provokes him to do that. He just likes Job. Some of y'all in here are parents or grandparents. Lord knows every one of y'all have been annoyed by me showing you a thousand baby pictures at least <laughs> once since I've had my child. Do you know why I show you baby pictures? It's not necessarily because some of you have asked me about it. Frankly, if you don't ask me about it, I'm going to show you anyway. Do you know why? Because I love my daughter. I'm proud of her because of who she is. Do you know that God is proud of you just because of who you are? That he likes you? He loves you? And Job only had Job righteousness. We have Jesus righteousness. We've got something Job couldn't even fathom. I'm not sitting up here trying to stomp on your toes. I'm sitting in here telling you God likes you. All the folks that have been stomping on your toes for years but never told you that God loves you, get up and walk. Jesus didn't break legs. He healed paralytics. He's in the healing business. I've been crushed. I've been harassed. I've been guilted. I've been this. I've been that. Yes, you are a sinner, but that can be past. Your identity as a sinner can be the past. Yes, you're still going to sin, but that's only because this body is sin sick. One day you can come to Christ and your identity can change from sinner to saint. And Jesus promises you one day you'll get a new body that none of this will affect you anymore. That God likes you. Well, I just don't know if i'm if I'm ready to come to him yet. I don't know if I've earned it. You haven't. I'll put that to bed. I just don't know if I'm ready yet. You're not. You never will be. But Jesus is ready for you. That's what matters. The law functions as a fence, not a gate. And if you keep depending on your own righteousness, if you keep saying, no, 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 this is a gate, I can leave whenever I want, that I'm actually a good person and I'll prove it by my behavior, one day every mouth will be stopped because no righteousness comes from the law. You can leave that behind and come to Jesus and be free today. And finally, third, the law functions in transition, not in permanence. That the. As Paul says, the law was that we were kept by the law for the faith which would afterward be revealed. For all the tragedy of knowing about good but not being able to obtain it, the law was intended to be transitional. It was always intended to lead you to a righteousness that was not your own. It was always intended to lead you to a point where you graduate from the knowledge that the old covenant gave you to the relationship that the new covenant does. There's always been a group of people amongst kind of the, the pastor preaching community, um, and, and, and in some cases in the pews, in the chairs, there's always been a group of people who, who are nervous that if you start really preaching grace, not grace with an asterisk, but if you start really preaching grace, the, what's going to happen is that the church is going to start living in sin because there's no law restraining us. That you always, you talk about the grace of God, but you always kind of couch it with you, yeah, but you better stay straight. Listen, let me tell y'all something. As soon as you start adding a little bit of law to grace, you ain't got grace anymore. Here's the way salvation works. Here's the way being saved works. You contribute absolutely nothing. Well, don't you have to at least try to live righteous, not to be saved? How many of y'all got uncomfortable when I said that? Just a little bit. You're squirming a little bit. Wait a minute. Pastor, you're telling me that I can be saved and I don't even have to try to live righteous? That's exactly what I'm saying. But grammar is important. I say you don't have to try to be righteous to be saved. Once you come to Jesus Christ and you get saved, you're not going to have to try to be righteous. I mean by that I mean your heart's going to change that the reason the law exists the reason the rules exist is to get it through our heads that our heart is what's messed up sin is not something that exists outside us that we try really hard to keep out sin is something that exists inside us and we can't help letting out that's why the law has to be there to keep that shut up to keep it away but once you come to Christ and you've been given a new heart, you will live wholly on your own accident than you ever lived on purpose. Why? Because sin is not part of your core being anymore. It is residual. It is leftover. It is this fallen body that one day will be replaced with a new one that is not bound by sin. What does this work like in practical application? Every one of us in here can think of something that was easy for us before we came to Christ and made us sick to our stomachs after we did. If you come to Christ, can you think of something like that? Sin that was easy for you before you came to Jesus and you really have no taste for it afterward? The flip side of that is if you're in here and you claim to be a Christian and you can sin and it not bother you, I don't believe you're saved. That's why I'm saying the law did its work in the past. It was always meant to transition you. Why, when you want to be a member of Stapleton Baptist Church, listen. When I come down here in like for a minutes and give the invitation, and I say, you can come down the aisle, or you can fill out the guest card inside the side of your wall, or you can catch me at the back door, If you want to talk to me about being saved, you want to talk to me about joining this church. Do you know that I don't, I I don't accept, we don't, you don't join the church right here. You set up a time to talk to me later. It's not really an interview per se. I want to make sure you understand the gospel. I want to make sure you can tell me when you gave your life to Christ. And I want to make sure that you understand what baptism is. And if you haven't been baptized or your baptism is on the wrong side of your conversion, I want to get everything in the right order. That's what we talk about. I give you a list of checkboxes and lists and say you have to qualify yourself by doing these things. And you've got to do this, 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 and this, and not do this, 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 and give this much a month, and blah, 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 blah. Do you know why we don't have this list of requirements to be a member of Satan's and Baptist Church? Because Jesus doesn't have those requirements to be a member of the church. When you come to Christ, you start naturally behaving like Jesus. You change. Your heart is different. And if your heart is different, have you really, if your heart's not different, have you really met Jesus? Listen to what David says in Psalm 51. He says, deliver me. Verses 14-17 through 17 in Psalm 51. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall flow, show forth your praise. For you do not desire a sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are, listen to this, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. When you reach a point and you say, I've screwed up. I did this wrong. I have sinned. And I can't give an offering big enough. I can't do enough service. I can't go to church enough. I can't sing the hymns loud enough. I can't stop cussing fast enough. I can't fill in whatever box you want to check. I can't this enough to outdo what it is I've already done. Then you've reached the point that David finally did when he said, God, you know what? It's not bulls and goats and sacrifice you want. It's my heart being broken and admitting that I've been wrong. When you reach that point, the law has done its job. Come to Jesus. It was always meant to get you to that point. It is not the church's job, it is not the law's job to get you to a point of depression where you say, I'm so messed up, I'm so